Welcome, welcome, welcome to the My Thing Is This podcast. I'm your host, Troy Sampson. And each week, we talk about what's going on in the world. And as we talk about that, I let you know my thing is this, about what's going on in the world. Again, I'm your host, Troy Sampson. Welcome to the My Thing Is This podcast. Stay tuned, buckle up, and enjoy the ride. What up, what up, good people? What up? Weekend in January 16th, 2022. I am your host, once again, Troy Sampson for the My Thing Is This podcast. And uh, a lot went on this past week. Got a lot of stuff to get dig into. I got an update for you on what I put out there in my last podcast as pertaining to CVS. There's a lot more to the story once you start digging deeper into that story. But first, let me start off with the week uh, talking about a couple sports-related items. Of course, you had the college football playoff national championship game between Alabama Christian Tide and the Georgia Bulldogs and Georgia wasn't scared you know they came out I mean it looked like it was going to be a tight game you know throughout the first half and I was wondering if Georgia going three and out so fast was going to wear down that Georgia Bulldogs defense but that Georgia Bulldogs defense is just that they dogs bro they are dogs they they just stuck with it, put pressure on, got turnovers, you know, and, you know, the young quarterback for Georgia, I ain't going to say young quarterback, his old quarterback is the walk-on. But I think one of the first walk-ons to ever win a national championship as a walk-on or as a former walk-on quarterback. And uh, they played Bama tight, man. I mean, you know, Kirby Smart, who is from the Nick Saban coaching tree, is doing a phenomenal job at Georgia. Uh, getting them ready and, and getting them, you know, year after year, recruiting well and, and being in the top five, top ten at the end of the year. They just so happen to be in the <laughs> what I call the the uh, D League of NFL football, which is SEC Conference, Southeastern Conference, which is one of the toughest conferences in the country. And uh, if you all, so some of you, or maybe you all know, I'm a Clemson Tiger fan from the ACC. You know, Dabo, Coach Sweeney over there. And this coming football season, I, oh, man. It's just, I don't know if we rebuild. I don't know what's going on. But, you know, when you play with the big dogs or you get to that level, and I'm not taking anything away from my Clemson Tide. I mean, not my Clemson, my Clemson Tide, but my Clemson Tigers. Because you stood, you, you stared the bear down twice. 
You know, you, you know, Clemson and Alabama have the most, I think, appearances in the college football playoffs since it's been instituted. And they've won the most championships combined uh, in the college football playoffs since it's been, I think Bama's got three, I think Clemson's got two. And then, of course, you had LSU, you had Ohio State. I think Ohio State was the original college football playoff champion. And then I think it was Bama, then us, then Bama, then us. Um and then, and then we got smoked <laughs> by LSU um, in that Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, they doing great things in the NFL with the Bengals in that blitzkrieg of a game that they had Trevor Lawrence's last year. Uh, got smoked, and then, of course, Alabama came back, and then I think this year it was Georgia that has won the national championship. So big up to Kirby Smart. But one of the things I want to say about – that particular game, and this is what's resonating in college football right now, is this transfer portal. You know, as soon as Alabama won, they had like seven kids going to the transfer portal. And so this transfer portal is giving kids more options. And I'm not knocking the transfer portal, per se, because coaches, these these coaches that come in there and woo your parents and woo you and tell, tell your parents they're going to look after your kid, make sure your kid gets great education and possibly shot at the NFL, they can pick up and leave at any time without any penalty. And so this leaves these kids stuck. And so with this transfer portal, I think transfer portal is a good thing. I think the NIL is a good thing. Uh, I still say there still still be more. And I think Jay Billis has been screaming this for a long time, but I think somebody came out with a formula that was probably be – it's the best idea I've heard in a long time in terms of this, this, this paying college football players. And what that means is part of the formula was – college football players or these athletes, college football, basketball players, get to stay, have eight years to finish their education, meaning they do the four years of football or basketball, whatever it is, and then from the time they leave, right, if they go early or whatever the case may be, they get up to eight years to finish their college education, basically still on scholarship but not counting against the school, but they still are able to take eight years to finish their degree because we all know that some of these major college football and basketball programs get these kids coming in and they get them to take these like crazy majors to keep them eligible to play. And, you know, majors I ain't never heard of before. And, you know, years ago, they found we found out from an expose deal on ESPN centered around North Carolina's scandal that general studies degrees really means nothing. You know, as a matter of fact, there was a kid, I think, played at North Carolina, but I think he might have transferred to Oklahoma. He played at Oklahoma, and he said, he sat down for an interview, and when the interviewer for the company he was trying to interview for asked him, well, what is general studies? Explain your general studies degree. He couldn't explain it. And so I think these kids should be put in positions and situations and circumstances where they can get the most out of their college education. And, and for some of these kids, if it takes you – Eight, I think eight years is great because instead of being some crazy general studies degree that you don't really go for, you got time now to, to focus on a more logical degree um, that can help you once you get done. There's also a bunch of other things that they get, you know, escrowed money that is given to them. They get lifetime health insurance benefits and stuff like that because let's face it, these kids are basically – I mean, I, I think their schedules are probably worse than pro athlete schedules. Um, 
when you see what they have to, they have to go to class, they have to perform at this level. Uh, it's a, almost a six, seven day a week job. It's a job for these kids. And I mean, applaud, I applaud these kids for being athletically, athletically gifted and, and with the drive and determination to go through that. But I think at the expense of them with these schools making all this money, you got to give something back to these kids. But anyway, you know, I digress on that. And, and shout out to Coach Prime, who's still bringing them into Jackson State. Um, that's a different time. I mean, I could spend a whole podcast on this this HBCU wave and what Dion and Coach Hugh Jackson are trying to do uh, and Coach Eddie George are trying to do with HBCUs and, and how that could actually work. Um but that's a different podcast for a different day. Uh, shifting gears real quick, uh, staying with sports. You know, we had a <laughs> a situation where <laughs> one of my favorite podcasts slash shows all of a sudden had this shift or with a, a, a pivot. That's I Am Athlete. I Am Athlete was put together by Brandon Marshall, former NFL wide receiver, uh, who is currently the owner of House of Athlete, both the fitness gym, uh, fitness facility, and House of Athlete. Uh, clothing line along with him and his wife uh, Mishi Mishi Marshall and he put together this podcast that had Fred Taylor OG Fred Fred Taylor former Jacksonville Jaguar running back who should be in the Hall of Fame should have been in the Hall of Fame by now uh, he got the numbers he's he's got the numbers uh, to definitely be there he's got the if you want an eye test he's got the the eye test to, to see that he's shaking many of all pro hall of fame defensive players and left them in their boots and run a lot of them over too. So he should be there. Then you had Channing Crowder who uh, went to the university of Florida, wasn't considered like a hall of fame type all pro linebacker, but still a serviceable linebacker played, I think six or seven years NFL. Uh, And then of course, you know, they also had Chad Ocho Cinco Johnson and this grouping of these four guys, um, Great, made for great television on YouTube. Um, they had some very spirited shows, some very hot shows. Uh, the content was great. Just hearing the different sides of what professional athletes have gone through and hearing these four guys talk about it. And then you've got Fred, who's the laid back one, the, the wise one. You got Brandon, who's the mediator, a little bit hype. And then, of course, you got Channing, who's that country boy who just say anything out of his mouth and just really, really funny. And then you've got Chad, who's the wild card, who a lot of people really don't understand Chad. But Chad is a very, very, very smart individual. He just knows when to pick and choose his spots. And I think a lot of times we look at people based on what the last thing that they've done when they were professional athletes. And for him, unfortunately, was his situation that he got himself into uh, with domestic thing with uh, with uh, Miss Evelyn Lozada, which uh, he came on I Am Athlete and said ended his career as a football player. Once he once he had that situation with her, his career was over with. He's come to grips with it. He's been successful after that with FIFA and uh, gaming and just his brand, and he's doing a great thing. But these four guys together – was compelling television. They built a cult following. I was definitely a big fan of it. And then all of a sudden, Brandon started to take the show a different way. Um, of course, they had Chef Nancy. Shout out to Chef Nancy. Um, definitely, definitely bona fide uh, female chef. Uh, has a lot of wisdom herself. They had Chef Nancy on there as well. And then all of a sudden, they took this shift and, and, and did an episode on NASCAR. 
right? Where they bought Bubba Wallace in. And all of a sudden, they took the shift to NASCAR. They did like several shows in NASCAR. And everybody's kind of scratching their heads. And you can start to see the rest of the guys kind of tail off a little bit. And then all of a sudden, they were just not there. And then he started I Am Woman, which is basically a spinoff of I Am Athlete, which basically brought their spouses or girlfriends into the mix. So you had Michi, Brandon's wife. You had Channing's wife, Aja. You had um, uh, Chad's girlfriend, Sherelle. Um, Fred's woman or wife or whoever it is he's with wasn't on there. And so you brought in Michael Vick's wife, uh, Kajafa. I think his name was Kajafa, who is, 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 is dope herself. With a lot of things she brought to the table, you had um, uh, Amari Stadelbein's wife, ex-wife Alexis uh, Kane, and you had Antonio Cromartie's wife was also on there as well. And so you had, uh, uh, and you also had um, uh, um, what's the guy's name? His wife, she was on there. She's a part of the original crew. Um, last name I think is Flowers, and um, you know they brought a lot of stuff to the table, man. As, as from a female perspective. Um, and what they talked about, and, and a lot of you know, both shows, I Am Athlete, I Am Woman, they really, really considered the mental health piece. And Brendan, Brandon used to always bring in this what they call the mental health check. You know, where where are you at mentally, emotionally, financially? You know, where are you at? You know, you six, seven here, or seven, eight here, or nine here. You know, and I thought that was dope. Um, but again, and then they did a spinoff of I Am Athlete LA, um, where they had. Um, I forgot the name of the guy's name. He's not an athlete, but he was like a, he's a writer. And then you had Brandon Jennings from NBA player. You had Swag, Swaggy P, Nick Young on there, and you also had Duke Iannaccio, who former NFL cornerback. And that show was okay, but something happened somewhere along the line where you all of a sudden you know you didn't see the I Am Athlete crew really there anymore, like like you used to see them, you know. Uh, everybody was like, "Was Fred on vacation? Was Chan? This, that, and the other." So, what ended up happening was, now you get the pivot, and what the pivot is, the pivot is like a spinoff. So, something happened behind the scenes with the original I Am Athlete crew, and of course, each side did their own, you know, show about what 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 went on and what may have went down. So, you got the pivot, which is now Fred Taylor, Channing Crowder. Ryan Clark, and then they typically have a special guest. I, I, I'm, I'm leaning toward that. You know, they should they should pull Chad into the pivot because, uh, like I said, those four guys together, and I think Brent, Brandon just wanted to go. From what I'm reading, and I don't know the mindset, so I don't, I don't. That's one of the things I'm trying to do in 2022 is not be you know judgy, so to speak, or be judgmental about what people, you know, are doing, what they're thinking of, and what, because I don't know what's in their heart, I don't know what's on their mind. And so I'm just going to be more of, just present you with the information that's been out there floating around. And some of the things was, is that Brendan, Brandon, well, I keep saying Brendan, but Brandon wanted to expand the empire, you know. Um, he wanted to do the NASCAR thing. He wanted to do the I Am Athlete LA. He wants to do I Am Athlete Woman. And he wants to expand that brand. I think um, that may have may may have played a factor into it. Um, some people have speculated that it was the money that you know Brandon is looking to be. Brandon is looking to be more entrepreneurial, and that you know because this thing is blown up, 
you know, the other three guys were looking for more coin because of it. And, you know, and then Brendan, you know, he did a he did a show where he sat down with Omar Kelly. Omar Kelly is a former uh, he's actually a writer still, but he covered the Dolphins back in, you know, Chad and Channing Crowder's days. And I think he also covered Jacksonville, too, with Fred um, back in their heyday when they were still playing. And he's, he's a really good writer, got a lot of great insight. And so he sat down with Brandon. And I listened to that show, and I one of the things I kept hearing, and this these are my ears hearing this, right? And, you know, I kept hearing from Brandon I. And this is what I wanted to do. And these are the things that I wanted to accomplish. And, you know, Brandon wants to become a mogul. And there's no nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Everybody should always seek out to become a mogul at what field, whatever endeavor they want to do. You know, do what they love and, 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 and maximize it, monetize it, or not monetize it. Just do what you love to, to serve people. Whatever it is you do, just do it. And, and based on what I was hearing from him, and what the message I kind of got from him was he was looking to expand, uh, you know, and grow that empire that he's building. You know what I mean? And so, I, you know, that could play in factor into it. And, of course, you know, they talked about it on the, on the Pivot podcast, too, was that, that, you know, they just was going in different directions um, with what they thought the future of I Am Athlete was. And so Fred and Chan decided to break off and do Pivot, and they pulled in Ryan Clark, which I think is a great a great option for them. And I've seen a couple episodes that they've had so far, um, and I think they were great episodes. Um, obviously, the I Am Athlete episodes are always going to be I Am Athlete episodes. Those You can't take those away. Those are great episodes. Um but I think a lot of people are still are starting to make that shift now where they're starting to move over to pivot because sometimes the, sometimes the main thing is just that, the main thing. You know, I think sometimes entrepreneurs may think that I got to stay current, I got to stay relevant, I got to get ahead of the curve because this thing could change overnight. But one of the things, and this is just my thing is this because this is the my thing is this podcast, right? My thing is this. And I'm just a fan of the show. Like I said, I don't know. I'm not talking about mindset of what these guys thinking and why they did this and why they do that. But as a fan of that show, that main thing was the four of them and the chemistry that they had and the things that they talked about and the way they went back and forth with each other and and, and being transparent about real life and, you know, bringing in, you know, former athletes that, you know, talk about money and mental health and, all the things, being able to say no to family and, you know, getting into it with Essay, um, uh, uh, who is, uh, uh, I think she was an agent for Brandon and a couple of these other guys too, you know, first African-American female agent. She's a graduate of FAMU. She's a Rattler. She's a lawyer. And she's been doing it a long time. Just getting into it with her about HBCUs. They had a great show on that where she's going back and forth with Chan. And Chan was trying to tell her, you're not going to get a lot of these young African-American athletes to go to HBCUs because of the facilities and all the things that are presented to you. And it's all about the money. And she was like, well, why can't you guys as athletes, you know, say I'm going to drop 50, 60 grand into this program. This thing. You know, it was going back and forth. It was an interesting debate. and And, you know, at, you know, Esty had her point and Chan had his point, and I could see both sides of the fence um, because it is a big difference when you start talking about HBCUs versus the big Power Five or what they call uh, primary white institutions, um, where you just got money. 
the facilities are off the chain. You know, these a lot of these football and basketball, especially with the football teams, they got private chefs. They got, you know, these expensive machines. You know, Clemson's got this machine now where it can do a, it can do basically it's like an airport scanner, body scanner where you can, you know, have someone who's going through injury walk and do their normal walk and if they got a shoulder injury you know it'll show you whether or not their shoulder's tracking right on the socket or your hip is tracking right on the socket through that machine and then they can do your rehab based on that and you know a lot of these teams got these deal with nikes where nike where they got a separate room where you go get your feet scanned and fitted you walk fit it for you know, your nike shoes your basketball shoes or your cleats and so it's kind of hard to I can see, you know, Chan's point because Chan went to Florida. Chan and Crowder went to Florida, and he said it was just the facilities. Fred is also a Florida alum as well, uh, running back, one of the great running backs out of Florida. And so they had the facilities. I mean, Florida is one of those – it's SEC schools, one of the Power Five schools, and it's in the best conference in the country, um, the SEC. And they've been, you know, a big-time program for the longest time. So I can see their point. But getting back to – this this pivot, I, I'm definitely. I've watched a couple, the first couple episodes. They had Marvin Lewis on, Ryan Clark brought his son on. Uh, a phenomenal young man. Ryan's done a great job of raising him. Marvin Lewis deserves another shot in the NFL for sure. Um, which I, I'm, I'm curious to see what the coaching cycle is going to be because he can still coach. He can because he's been helping out uh, Herm Edwards and Antonio Pierce over there at Arizona State, and so they've been doing their thing over there. But Marvin said on the pivot, "Hey, I'm ready to come back." I've been ready to come back. I've always been ready to come back. And so he's got life lessons that he's learned from his days when he was with the Bengals. Um, and so he knows, you know, he's been staying up on this current game and how these athletes think and how the game changes and all those sorts of things. And he's got some lessons learned that he's ready to implement and deserves a shot. But this I am athlete versus the pivot. I, I, I just, I'm just kind of saddened to see that they've broken it up. But I'm also excited to see what Fred and, and the pivot, Fred and, and Chan and the pivot does. Because, you know, again, going back to the main thing, the main thing is the main thing. And the main thing, again, was those guys, the four of those, the way they had the chemistry and the topics that they talked about and, and so on and so forth, that will always be the main thing. And how you grow off of that, I don't know. Because I don't know how you get better at talking or get better at, I mean, because there's so many topics out there they can discuss. There's so many other sports they can bring on, you know, um, and talk to people about. You know, you know, uh, uh, Chad is a big soccer guy. I mean, they could have brought soccer guys on. You know, um, you know, you can bring hockey guys on. You know, you got African Americans really starting to pop up in hockey now. You could bring the Seth Joneses of the world, his little brother. You know, even bring a Van Kane on, who's got his own issues going on, and I think. That would be a great show, especially from a mental health perspective, because they're talking about, you know, one of the things they talk about in Vander Kane, who's been waived by his current team because of all the things he did, the fake COVID card and all that kind of stuff. He's got a lot of stuff going on. And so I don't know if it's a mental health thing. I'm not sure what it is, but I mean, there's plenty of content. You got the females out there, the female athletes. We got some phenomenal world-class female athletes from WNBA players to soccer players to tennis players. So there's always content out there, and I don't know how you can get better at the four of them with the chemistry and the topics, because the topics, because the topics always change, but the talent and what they bring to the table is phenomenal. So I wish 
I wish I am athlete the best of luck. I wish the pivot. I'll definitely be tuning into the pivot because uh, they have been <clears throat> doing some great things. Again, they I think they're releasing like two episodes a week, I think. So I got to catch up on. I caught the last episode with Marvin Lewis, but I think they released another episode since then. So I got to get caught up on that. Uh, and so I just wish them the best of luck. And I'll be tuning in definitely to the pivot um, because they've got, you know, a, a nice core group of three guys there and if they get Chad if they get Chad over there man I don't know man it might be a rap for I Am Athlete because you know you got the three main cogs that came from I Am Athlete and you throw Ryan Clark who is brilliant himself and brings a lot to the table himself uh, that's a heck of a that's a heck of a mix there I, but I'm a little concerned about Ryan though because Ryan's got a lot going on right now man He he's with ESPN you know he does a lot of stuff and I'm just a little nervous about his availability with these guys, but I guess they got it worked out. I mean, these guys are professionals. They, 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 they've been doing this for a long time, so they got it worked out. All right. So shifting gears, um, real quick, shifting gears, Chick-fil-A and people, you might, you might say to yourself, why is he talking about Chick-fil-A? Right? Everybody loves Chick-fil-A. Everybody thinks the, the food is phenomenal. They're always crowded. You go to Chick-fil-A, it's crowded, right? So, Chick-fil-A's got this new thing they've been doing. And I live in in in, in Maryland, the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area in, in Prince George's County, uh, Mitchellville, Bowie, Springdale area, you know, um, near Woodmore. And we got several Chick-fil-A's um, in the area. You got one over at Vista Garden Marketplace that's off Martin Luther King Jr. Highway uh, in 450. You've got another one at the old Cap Center Boulevard. Shout out to my man Keith, who owns that one. Brother from my church, brother named Keith, owns that one uh, over by Cap Center Boulevard. Just a, just a stone's throw from the stadium, right? You can walk, literally walk out of Chick-fil-A, walk up the hill and be at FedEx Field. Um, and you got one down in Bowie, down in Old Bowie, down by Bowie High School. So you got them all over, man, but all of them are crowded. And one of the things I've noticed that a lot of these Chick-fil-A's have begun doing is, and I don't know if this is a, a, a operational function to make it them more efficient, but they got people outside taking orders, right? They got two and three young adults outside with their um, iPads and their uh, handheld card swipe or card, if you got a chip in it, you can just insert your card to pay for your food. And I don't know if it's a situation because it helps them process the orders faster or what. It, it may, it's, I'm pretty sure it's some operational thing. I'm pretty sure somebody from Chick-fil-A can probably fill me in on why they have these people outside, two or three people outside taking orders. But I happen to be at the Chick-fil-A. I was on the Eastern Shore. Shout out to Eastern Shore. Going down to Groove City, Cambridge, Maryland. Big up Cambridge, Maryland. Groove City. Groove City versus everybody. And on the way, we stopped in Easton and they have the Chick-fil-A over there in Easton back there um, by the Easton Bypass back there by Dick's Sporting Goods and the shopping plaza back there, right? So, you know, it's my wife, myself, my kid, this dog, we, we snuck down to the shore and surprised my mother-in-law for a birthday because uh, my birthday is January 7th, the same as my mother-in-law's birthday and, you know, my wife had said, we're going to surprise her. She's like, you know, She's going to be there by herself, you know, she's going to do something for me that day and so on. We still got that done. 
but um, we snuck down there on her and surprised her. And, but on our way back, we stop off at Chick-fil-A to grab a quick bite, right, in Eastern. Now, it's about 36 degrees outside that day. It was Friday, January 7th, and the wind is blowing at probably like maybe 10, 15, 20 miles an hour, right? So it's cold. It is cold. So we get in the drive-thru, and we see this young lady out there. She's got a Chick-fil-A uniform on. She's got like a, I don't know if it's Chick-fil-A bomber jacket with a hood on it. And so I get up to her, and I said, why did they have you? I asked her, I said, are you cold? She says, I'm freezing. So she took our order. I'm like, why they got you outside? You know, just that and the other, right? I said, I'm going to say something to the man. I said, I'm going to say something when I get around to the window. So I get to the window. And the young lady says, your order, what's the name for your order? I tell her name for the order. I say, what's going on? I said, where the manager's at? Why y'all got that girl outside freezing like that? It's cold. Now, mind you, the person inside the window, right, she had a full jacket on and gloves and a hat. That's how cold it was. She was inside the drive through window where you pick your food up with hat, what we call newbie, right, wool hat on her head, gloves on, and a jacket. And the first thing she said, well, yeah, it is cold. It's cold in here. And we all have to do it. And I'm like, this is just crazy. So as I'm, well, but f- rewind to when I was in the drive-thru. I actually took a picture of this young lady standing out there, right? And so I ended up tweeting Chick-fil-A with that picture. Yo, yo, y'all got to do better. Now, I will say this about Chick-fil-A, especially the Chick-fil-A's up here where we live in D.C., Maryland, Virginia area. A lot of those Chick-fil-A's, and I think a lot of them independently owned franchises, but a lot of them are retrofitted with these tents, right? So when you first hit the drive-thru, you're actually going through a tent, right? And a lot of them inside those tents have heaters, right? And those heaters are kind of blowing down, you know, while you're inside the tent on the people that's out there, right? And so some of them, they do have those. But this particular Easton, this particular Chick-fil-A in Easton, they had a little teeny booth, but the booth didn't have any heat in it. She wasn't even using a booth. And the booth was past the sign. So I was just wondering, if it's this cold out here, why are y'all not using this regular sign where people put it to the sign and order the food? So I sent a tweet to Chick-fil-A. I tweeted Chick-fil-A. No response. So I DM'd them on Twitter. And they said, well, look into it. This, that, and the other. Give me a description. I haven't heard anything back. But I I mean, I think Chick-fil-A is, is a great, you know, they got great food, this, that, and the other. And from my understanding, they treat their employees well. They got good pay and good benefits. But you shouldn't be outside having people freeze. Now, it's one thing to have tents outside, those canopy tents, and you got heaters with them. That's where you can, they got some sort of heat blowing on them. But this girl was underneath no canopy and it was freezing outside. And Chick-fil-A, I just said, Chick-fil-A, you got to do better. And I know everybody's trying to make that buck. But, I mean, you have to ask yourself as, a, as an employee, too. And then because the young lady at the window said, well, we all have to do it. We have all had to be out there today. Shouldn't have nobody been out there that day. As cold as it outside, shouldn't nobody be. Unless you got heaters and stuff out there. To at least give you some sort of warmth. Shouldn't be nobody out here in no 20, 30 degree weather taking somebody's order. That's what the window's for. And I know you want to get people through efficiently, but you got to find a better way, Chick-fil-A. You know, if you're going to outfit people, give, you know, outfit these kids with, you know, give them some sort of supplement to help them pay for some Tim's. 
to put on their feet to keep their feet warm, and then you know they you know they can come up with their own long johns to put into uniform, but give them you know either bigger or more insulated jackets or whatever. If you if you if this is what you want to do, you shouldn't have to go to work to freeze. I mean, you know, we watched games over the weekend, NFL games over over this past weekend, where these guys are getting paid millions, hundreds of thousands to millions and millions of dollars to be out there for three or four hours in their uniform playing in the cold. You ain't getting paid that kind of money staying in the cold taking people's order to Chick-fil-A. You, you, you see what I'm saying? And yeah, some people may say, well, sure, you're overreacting, this, that, and that. that's fine. You know, everybody's entitled to their opinion. I just think that, you know, if you're going to have people outside taking orders in, in, in this kind of weather, make them a little bit more comfortable because nobody signed up to, for work at a Chick-fil-A where it says, oh, you're going to be exposed to extreme temperatures. Chick-fil-A is typically inside working. But anyway, I digress. So moving right along. Um, moving right along. But let me do this real quick. Like what you hear so far. Thank you, our generous listeners. And also thank the mighty man of God himself. Remember, like, subscribe. Also share this podcast. I'm on Anchor FM and Spotify. Make sure you share this with your family, friends, and loved ones across all social media platforms. We are back to the show. All right, so we're back. So there was a story that came out out of Fayetteville, North Carolina. Uh, Fayetteville shooting of a black man by off-duty officer sparks protest in North Carolina, right? Um, apparently, 37-year-old Jason Walker jumped on the sheriff's deputy's hood um, of his vehicle, and the sheriff's deputy shot him dead. Uh, and so um, he was killed on a Saturday. I think it was Saturday, January 9th or 8th, I think it might have been. And so, you know, we don't know what really happened. And, of course, you know, they're not releasing a lot of stuff. I know they did say they obtained a black box from the dude's truck that um, said that the vehicle didn't impact anything or anyone, but a windshield wiper was torn off and you and used to break the windshield. It says Hawkins said the weapon. Hawkins said the uh, who was Hawkins? Police Chief Gina Hawkins uh, said that um, the weapon used by Hash was not his service weapon. Oh, okay. And she did not disclose how many shots were fired uh, or where Walker was hit. Um, but here's the thing about that, though. Um, the dude didn't. You were inside your vehicle, and I know you got your wife and you know wife and kids in the vehicle and stuff like that. But he was unarmed, and I don't know what exactly happened or what transpired. Right, but it's like this dude jumped on the hood, and I don't know if it was because the truck may have hit him. He just kind of got mad, but he jumped on the hood, and you know this dude, you know, just I guess I don't know if you call it panic, but shot the dude dead, man. You know, um, shot the dude dead. So I'm not sure what this is going to end up being, but again, 
you know, if he's a sheriff deputy, he's trained. He should be trained in how to deal with things like that. If this dude didn't show or brandish a weapon, does it cause you to shoot him dead because he's, you know, your vehicle? That's why you have car insurance. You know, that, that windshield, that windshield wiper can be replaced, but a life can't be replaced. And so we'll stay tuned to see what's going on with this and see how this transpires. But, you know, he got he got shot dead. And once again, it's just another another tragedy, you know, unarmed, unarmed black man shot, you know. Um, and I, like I said, I don't have the full details on it, but we're going to stay tuned. And as the more details, I'm pretty sure this is going to have more details come out as more information is, is released and stuff like that, like what always happens. And so we'll pay attention to that story. Um, there was another story that I came across uh, related to NPR, um, <laughs> the radio station, um, and National Public, it was National Public Radio, right? And one of the things that came out of this was that... Um, there has been some departures of some high-profile females from NPR. Um, Hosts Lulu Gonzalez or Lulu Garcia Navario, Audie Cornish, and um, Noel King have all left. And um, it says in the wake of the trio of departures, news stories and private messages shared among NPR staffers reflect reflected the concern that black and Latino stars are leaving the network in droves. And so in November, Weekend Edition Sunday host Lulu Garcia Navarro left to host a podcast for the New York Times opinion section. In December, Noel King departed Morning Edition and up up first for Vox, or up, and up first for Vox. Um, last week, All Things Considered and... Consider this host Audie Cornish left um, to go and host for CNN's new streaming service. So um, the chief executive officer for NPR, you know, he's, he's got to do, he's got to, he's got to make it look good. He said the hosts are the reason these shows are so successful along with the, all the people working so hard every day on these shows, losing anybody um, that we see as super valuable is always concerned. And so people are, you know, really, really concerned over this. And it really goes into um, um, how, I guess, people are being treated, compensation and stuff like that. Um, you know, all things considered, you know, host Ari Shapiro said on Twitter that um, NPR is hemorrhaging hosts from marginalized backgrounds. This is much of the commentary reflects a belief that NPR has proven incapable of doing the right thing when race is a factor and is willfully or carelessly driving away its future stars, even as it aspires to attract more black and Latino listeners. And so, yeah. And so there's some things going on here, you know, um, where, you know, people are starting to roll out of, um, NPR, uh, especially people of color, starting to roll out of NPR, and um, one of the things that um, came out was, and and 
There was an interview. It says interviews with 12 people with direct knowledge of the recent developments, including NPR hosts and executives, suggest NPR indeed struggles to retain high-profile journalists of color. Hosts have complained to the network's leadership of pay disparities along racial and gender lines. Some say the network does not keep its promises and makes contract negotiations unnecessarily contentious. Several hosts concluded that they were made that they were made to be the public face of NPR, but did not have the network's full support. Wow. And so these are, you know, this is a, a, a segment of America that we always talk about. You know, these are the, some of the issues that come up, um, that come up, you know, pay disparity, gender disparity, where people are getting paid um, a lot more money than some people are for doing even better or doing the same job. Um, and so those are the things um, that in, that are coming up against. I mean, you can't keep treating people a certain way and expect to retain people before people um, start rolling out. You know? Um, you know, people have been complaining about you know, news and programming not being run in a unified fashion, you know, where things are being done for one particular segment or one particular side and things are not. Um, you know, back in May 2020, four NPR female hosts of color, Garcia Navarro King, uh, All Thanks to the host Alicia Chang, and All Thanks to the Weekend host Michelle Martin sent a letter to the CEO seeking a more equitable pay arrangement in comparison to their male peers. Publicly available tax forms listed top paid employees suggested listing top paid employees suggesting female hosts were paid less than their male counterparts. Wow. It says in the case of Morning Edition Steve Inskep and Weekend Edition Scott Simon, who are white, seniority and longevity elevated their play, they, their pay. So, yeah, man, um, you know, and then they dig into this. It says NPR's tax records, for example, Simon's annual base pay was 75000 more than that of um, Martin's. So, you know, um, he's white and she's black and both host two-hour programming shows each weekend. So, you know, these are things that come up, man. I mean, and like I said, you know, pay disparity, gender inequality and stuff like that are not, you know, just a NPR thing. It's 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 also a thing where, you know, people are just, you know, getting fed up. They're getting fed up with, you know, what's going on. Getting fed up with, you know, not being paid fairly. You know, if you put the work in and your show was banging – then you should be getting paid, you know, in comparison to, you know, what, you know, your counterparts are getting paid, you know, and it shouldn't really matter what color you are, what gender you are. If you show, if your show is bringing in the dough, then your pay should reflect that because you're bringing value to the network. All right. Shifting gears again. You know, I, I, I gave a big shout out on my last podcast to CVS because, you know, they dropped the, the Supreme Court case. Um, that they had, and then they also decided to or had pledged to help build housing for 
um, disabled and veterans and people, you know, who need help, right? Well, I got word from a very uh, verbal resource that this just wasn't CVS got some dirt underneath their nails, right? And they got some dirt underneath their nails. It says CVS backing off their lawsuit stems from members suing Aetna for disclosing that they had HIV in a letter to those members. And further information on that was was that they were sending out letters, right, to people that had HIV. And where this comes in is when you – you know how you get a letter in the mail that has a the window that has your name, address, telephone number, and all that kind of stuff, right? Well, for some strange reason, and if you you if you understand if you work for a healthcare company, you understand HIPAA, right? You should be very well versed in HIPAA. And when you're packing these envelopes, somebody has to review, even if it's automated. Somebody has to be take a look at those envelopes, make sure everything looks good, right? And if your your window, the envelope, is not only showing the person's name, address, telephone number, but also the HIV status, where whoever picks that mail up can see it, that is crazy, right? That is crazy. <laughs> and so um, Aetna had to pay $17 million out, and I think it was like 12,000 people that were affected by this. And, you know... Uh, the Supreme Court case is going to cause some bad press for CVS because four high-profile disability organizations got into it, right? It says these organizations agreed to partner with CVS, and that's why CVS backed out the lawsuit, you know? And so, um, and so yeah, so CVS has been doing a bunch of stuff. You know, one person got sent a letter uh, telling them, if I didn't have my blood pressure medicine transferred from Walgreens to CVS, they wasn't going to pay for it. So that's crazy, right? And so as part of this Aetna CVS acquisition uh, approval, CVS had committed dollars to underprivileged communities. And so they had to commit millions of dollars to California, and they were building homes for underprivileged disabled people because they had opened several healthcare hubs in different locations where they will turn CVS into health clinics in those communities. And so Aetna's Charitable Foundation uh, had billions of dollars and it must be dissolved in five years following this acquisition. So CVS bought Aetna. And this is all a part of depleting the funds as required by the government to move forward in that 2018 acquisition. So, yeah, so this wasn't CVS being, you know, generous because they just felt like being generous. They got forced. They, they, their hands got forced. And so um, the other thing, too, is, you know, um, CVS is cutting employees, too. So CVS is closing uh, 900 um, CVSs to help fund those, uh, fund their vision for those clinics. And so, you know, when you check the layoffs and stuff like that and what the employees say, is that the previous CEO of CVS earned 400 plus times earnings of the average employees earning 28K a year. So that's, I mean, but that's not something unheard of, right? 400 times is a lot, but that's not something unheard of because this is what happens in business, you know. You know, the people doing the work are typically the people not paid a lot of money and the people at the top making decisions, so to speak, and and a lot of them claim it's a liability they take on is why they get paid that kind of money because they take the liability. So if something happens with the company, you know, it's on them 
But we all know that's 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 not always true. And here's why. And my thing is this, because this is my thing is this podcast. When I hear people say that, oh, I get paid the big bucks because if, if you know stuff hits the fan, then I had to take the hit for it. Okay, well. That is good if you're an entrepreneur. That sounds great if you're an entrepreneur, meaning you're the sole, you, it's you. You're the face of your company. It's you. You know, like me, I'm Troy Sampson, Troy Sampson Enterprises. And, you know, something happens, I got to take the hit for that. But if you work for CVS, because a lot of these CEOs got these contracts written where they got parachute clause, they got protection. And so what ends up happening is CVS, the company ends up taking a hit when CVS, the CEO, gets itself in hot water. That's typically how it works. And, yeah, they may have something where they may go after them on the backside, but a lot of these executives and VPs, and once you get to that level where you're signing contracts for your employment, where you're making a quarter of a million or more dollars a year to be a leader of something, there's always protections that you have in place, whereas the company is going to take the hit more so than you. Now, the company, like I said, the company may come after you some sort of way, but if you write your contract outright and all that kind of stuff, yeah, they may come after you, but you, when you roll out, you got a parachute, you know, they always talk about these parachutes and these contracts. You got a parachute that they make sure you keep getting your money. You know what I mean? And plus, you know, you'll get hired by these people get hired by other people just like that. So, you know, again, you know, that's it's crazy. But CVS didn't really do that. Like I reported out of the kindness of their heart. They did that because Aetna screwed up and was revealing people's HIV status. Uh, again, I, I, again, I don't understand that one. I don't understand how you not do that. How do you not do that? But anyway, uh, I'm gonna dig into. I got two stories because you know I'm a again I'm a dad of someone living with autism ADHD. So I'm a part. I'm a special needs dad. I'm a part of the special needs community, disability community as a dad, right? So my two last stories, and then before I get to my shout outs, because I like to do shout outs with people. Um, is one about this barber who gave a haircut to a young boy with autism and it went viral, right? And of course, our CDC director, Walensky, got herself in hot waters. But I'm going to dig into the CDC director first, right? So she came out and said, you know, basically that the about the pandemic that you know, people with disabilities, you know, are always, or I, I forgot the quote she said. I mean, it was something, it was something really, really insensitive, right? And, um, you know, it, it's, it's, I don't know. I, I don't know how we do this. I don't know how we, how do you, I don't know how you get to that level where you're a director of a CDC or you're a director of something and you're able to make, still make comments like that that are not thought out. Um, I just don't understand it. So she caught heat for it, you know, um, what she said about people with disabilities as related to COVID and things of that nature, right? And so, um, 
obviously when she made the comments, you know, disability rights advocates jumped on her quickly. I mean, she was she was pounced on quickly. But let me go forward and, and, and tell you this. Hold on, let me see something real quick. Let me see if I can find the exact quote. So I can make sure you guys have it in full context. Um, that way you have the full context of it because there's a follow-up to this that actually happened. Um, let me see if I can find it. Yeah, it looks like it might have been. It looks like it might have been. Um, looks like it might have been scrubbed from the interwebs, <laughs> so to speak. Because I'm having. Um, okay, here we go. Let me see here. Let's see. What did she say? Made on us insisting. going on with my machine here. Bear with me for a second. Um, you know, everybody's got an article on this, but nobody's... Where is the quote? Oh, here it is. It says, she says, she said, she was interviewed by Good Morning America, right? And let me give you the context. Um, it says, I want to ask you about those encouraging headlines that we're talking about this morning. This new study showing just how well vaccines are working to prevent severe illness. Is it time to start rethinking how we're living with this virus? And then her response was, um, the overwhelming number of deaths, over 75%, occurred in people who had at least four comor comorbidities. So really those people who weren't who were unwell to begin with. And yes, really encouraging news in the context of Omicron. Right? Um, we're really encouraged by the results, right? And so um she says really unwell to begin with. That's you know. Yeah, that's that's not some people say it's not a big deal, but that's not something to really say, right? And so Americans who live with disabilities were pained by her remarks. It says a TikToker named Britt, who describes herself as disabled and chronically ill, a disabled and chronically ill disability justice advocate, used her platform to call out the CDC director. Sometimes people really just say should just say the quiet part. Sometimes people really just say the quiet part out loud. She elaborate as someone with comorbidities or pre-existing conditions or whatever language you're using to wrap up disability and chronic illness these days. I don't think that those numbers are encouraging at all. And I certainly don't think that they're acceptable. Being disabled doesn't mean a person is unwell. Right. And it certainly doesn't mean that they're going to die anytime soon. And whether Dr. Rachel Walensky chooses to recognize it or not, our deaths have meaning because our lives have meaning. 
We are not disposable, and none of this should be encouraged or be accepted by anyone. Right on point. She's right on point. So in the wake of all this, right, so when this firestorm happened, right, she decided to, you know, disability advocate groups, um, disability rights advocates groups um, laid into her, and rightfully so. So she agreed to meet with them to discuss what chronically ill, uncompromised, immunocompromised, and they say what Americans need from the CDC. Well, my thing is this. Here's my thing, right? And I checked her. I checked her Twitter feed, right? And I haven't seen anything. And this is the thing that a lot of people in the disability slash special needs community really, really have a hard time with. Um, when people like in her position make these kind of comments, right? Most of the time, you'll make a comment like this in public, but then you will offer an apology in public. The problem with her meeting with and then coming out and saying on her Twitter feed that it was a great meeting, I look forward to working with the disability community even more, was where was your public apology? You made the public statement, make the public apology. That's the part that really resonates with people living with disabilities, people in the special needs communities, caregivers of people living with disabilities and in the special needs community. That's what resonates the most because it's saying that you don't want to acknowledge your mistake, right? So you get up here and you say something like that or you make some other crazy comment, right, in public. And then when you get heat for it, you decide you want to meet with people privately. No, no. You can. I'm, I'm, well, let, me, let me take that back. You can still meet with people privately, but the first thing you should did was you should have came out, and instead of tweeting that you had a great meeting with the disability community, look forward to working with them, you should have tweeted, "I am really sorry for the instance of the comments I made that have affected so many people um, in the disability community and people living that are immunocompromised and people." That are living with disabilities or people living with health pre-existing health conditions. I am very sorry for that, and I apologize. Those are insensitive words to use the word unwell and to characterize that thought process that I had in that way. I have to choose my words better. I apologize. I value do better. Please forgive me. That should have been a tweet. That should have been a public statement and a tweet. But instead, it's like, okay, I'm going to meet with them, but you didn't publicly acknowledge that you messed up. And again, that's the problem. I, I, my, my, my text, I, I, I have two ladies that serve on my CCAC board with me and, and my texts were blowing up for them too. And one of the things that really stood out was that was the overarching thing. People, you know, we, listen, there's nobody here. Well, my thing is this. I don't believe nobody on God green's earth is thinking that everybody's perfect. We all make mistakes. We all say things and stumble. There's no one able to, to, to bridle their tongue or to bridle their body and make themselves perfect, as the word says. You know, in the book of James, it talks about the tongue. The tongue is, 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 is <laughs> it can speak life and death into somebody real quickly. And it's so small, it's like a ship, a huge cargo ship, being navigated by a very small rudder. That's what the tongue is. 
it can destroy people. And at the same time, you know, we know, and, and it happens to me. I'm, I'm I'm human too. I say stuff out of my mouth time, at times that shouldn't have come out, right? And we know people make mistakes and will say stuff out of their mouth in error or because of insensitivity or because of sarcasm. And sarcasm is, is at an all-time high. You know, I was reading my uh, devotional this morning and and, and and today and yesterday's devotional was centered around sarcasm and how we've turned into this sarcastic society where we think, you know, even our young people, they think roasting people is the way to go. On a subway train, in, in school, wherever you are, just roasting somebody. You know, sarcasm, being sarcastic or being able to be quick with it and quick with your mouth in response to people is is considered you know a, a badge of honor these days when sarcasm is the same as just telling somebody ain't shit to their face. Excuse my French, ain't s i t to their face. Same thing with sarcasm. You know, being witty about something, being slick or smart about something, right? And that's one of the things that we have to be mindful of, and I think we've gotten away from that. But we also have to be accountable too. Again, if you if you're gonna you know, say to people, make this public comment. And again, in a disability community, special needs community, that's one of the biggest things I hear a lot of people talking about when people do stuff like this. Where's the public apology? You may privately say to the people that you met with, right? Hey, I shouldn't have said that or I made a mistake or I'm sorry, right? But those aren't the only people that heard it, right? You know, somebody may write you a private letter if somebody writes you a private letter, you may respond back to them saying, hey, I got your letter. I am so sorry. No, make the public apology. Make the apology public. You know? Whether it's pastors on the pulpit, teachers in the classroom, whomever has a public voice, if you make a public comment that affects people, then publicly apologize. Period. Full stop. Make the apology public. You made a statement public, make the apology public and then do what you need to do to work in the background so that you are able to better choose your words wisely or not even say anything at all. You know, those are the things that we need to work on and choose our words wisely and make sure that we are doing the things we need to do to, to lift people up and not always tear people down. And that's one of the challenges that I think a lot of us live with is we spend a lot of time, you know, tearing people down and not necessarily lifting people up, you know, trying to get one up on somebody, trying to be slick with it, you know. Sometimes it's just not, sometimes the best thing to say is nothing at all, you know. You know, again, we, you know, what's the word? <laughs> the word sarcasm, it says it's a Greek word from a sarcasian. It literally means to tear the flesh like a dog, Right. So when you're being sarcastic in your mouth, you know, it's one of the lowest forms of humor. You're tearing into somebody. And so, you know, um, you know, it's just no it's just no real place for it. You know, I think sarcasm and one up smithship has become a new ritual where people, you know, are like two fencers trying to thrust swords into each other and wounding each other with emotional, you know, and cutting jabs until somebody submits, 
you know, and with mental health being a big issue these days, you know, people, we have to be mindful. We have, just have to be mindful, especially if you're a public figure, especially if you're a public figure in a prominent leadership position like that, where you have a voice and I'm, and you can't, I, I, for one, my thing is this, I don't believe for one, not one second, that for a person in her position, she doesn't have a PR person or her staff that coaches her and, and is guiding her on what to say and what not to say. Yeah, she may be a brilliant woman, may have gotten a lot of training in that, but you still, you need somebody because sometimes we walk with blinders on. We may see things a certain way and, you know, some things we can't see. And so, you know, we shouldn't let, you know, corrupt words, you know, come out of our mouth, you know, except for what's good and necessary for edification. And that it may impart grace to the hearers. You know, that's Ephesians 4, 29. Yeah, let our words be fruitful. Look for the fruit. Let our words, you know, lift somebody up. You know, I'm reading a book now also uh, that talks about, you know, um, a thing called ants, automatic negative thoughts. You know, where you, some we come across something, the first thing we do is put on automatic negative thoughts. And then when we do that, we come with automatic negative language. Oh, you can't do that. Oh, it wasn't meant to be. Oh, it wasn't this. It wasn't that. You know, we got to change our thought process because the words we speak have meaning. They carry a lot of weight. If we keep talking about negative stuff all the time, then eventually we become negative all the time. You know, if we start talking about we can't do this or we can't learn this or we can't do that, then we become that. You know, we become those limiting ideas that are entertained. You know? So, you know, we got to stop accepting these things from folks like this, you know? Um, I read somewhere somebody was talking about a teacher that they had at a Christian school who called it scarcasm instead of sarcasm meaning you know that sarcasm can wound people can leave scars you know so we have to do a better job of um, you know watching what we say and how we say it and if we say something wrong right especially publicly put it out there publicly that we said something wrong because, again, she met with those individuals behind closed doors. I don't know what they really talked about. But she met with them behind closed doors, right? And she may or may not have apologized, right? Um, But that's not, we're not hearing anything from her, you know, that she's sorry, you know? Somebody did an interview with someone that works in the disability community um, and they said, you know, we're looking for a public apology to the disability community broadly, not just the people that she met with today. You know? And also looking for an ongoing commitment to develop in consultation with and collaboration with the disabled, chronically ill, and immunocompromised stakeholders, substantial plans to really change the course of the pandemic and community. So those are the things that, you know, was talked about 
you know, one one of the people I could think was in the meeting said that public apology really needs to happen. You know, it really needs to happen. You know, um, you know, this COVID is really, really, you know, doing a doozy on everybody, and it's really touching our disability community in a major way. Because a lot of our disability, you know, some of our disability, I'm just saying a lot, some of our disability community are living autoimmune compromise and in addition to other disabilities they're living with. So that really puts them at risk, you know. So, you know, she really needs to, you know, come and make that public apology. And this is for anybody listening. You know, if you make a public statement that offends people, you know, be willing to make the pub, be willing to make the, the, um, public apology as well don't just you know turn and and, and act as if you know you didn't do anything wrong or it's no big deal you know what I mean so but anyway I want to end this podcast on a positive note and um, I want to give a big shout out to um, this sister who's a barber um her Instagram, it was, this this video went viral on Instagram and the uh, sister Instagram handle was Exposed Cuts. It's uh, E-X-P-O-Z-D-C-U-T-S. So we need to put some respect on her name, you know, because she, you know, um, this mom named um, Laquista Arena posted a video on her Instagram, right? And um, it was really, really touching. Uh, really, really touching video um, of this young lady named Ree, who's the barber, right? The barber Ree um, has always worked patiently and creatively with um, Laquista's son, Jackson, who was on the autism spectrum. But recently she had to work super hard to help keep him calm because he's forgotten to bring his headphones, he normally does, doing his haircut. And so you can see her, he's he's got his mask on, right? And he's actually out of the chair. And she's out of the, you know, she's working on him, cutting his hair while they're moving around. <laughs> while they're moving around. And she was just so patient and kind with him, um, you know, that mom wrote on her, wrote on her uh, Instagram page. She said she's always been so patient and kind with Jack-Jack. You know, yesterday was epic meltdown. I usually have to do some coaching to get him in a chair. He will put on his headphones, and we powered through. Yesterday, he forgot his headphones, and it went downhill fast. He refused to sit in a chair and just lost it. And so these are some of the things that people don't understand and realize. These are some of the things that a lot of our parents – that have children living with autism and disabilities have to go through. And it's hard, you know, a simple haircut ain't so simple for individuals, you know, living with special needs. Um, you know, and so this Barbara Ree had a few extra tricks up her sleeve to help, you know, manage Jackson's behavior. And in a genius move, she suggested that they play a haircut game. You know, she noticed uh, his Super Mario hoodie on, which he is low-key obsessed with, and told him that he needed to save Super Mario by making sure no hair gets on him, you know. And so she cut his hair while he moved around and ran around the shop. His smile was priceless at the end. And dude, you know, she posted a picture of the smile, you know. And um, he was clearly enjoying running around 
you know, while Reed chases him, cutting little bits of his hair at a time when she's able to catch up with him. She talks him through it, throughout the process, encouraging him and reminding him about the game to keep him engaged. You know, and so mom was so moved by her patience that she decided to record it. She had no idea that the viral, the video would go viral. And so many parents of kids on the spectrum would reach out to her to share their story. You know, the video quickly gone viral for good reason. And there's certainly not many barbers like Ree. And so she just shout out to the sister Ree, man. You know, shout out to her, man. And, um, you know, so, you know, the, the mom was so moved by this, right? You know, and wanted to make sure that Ree is continuing to take extra time to do a great job with kids on the spectrum. She started a GoFund page for Ree. You know, and you know, it's like overcut. It's got a couple thousand dollars, a couple thousand dollars already in the in the GoFundMe account. And so there's a nice picture um, that she took with the young man. He's smiling. They doing their thing, and and so she, you know, the mom hopes that the video will help her raise awareness for the difficulty that many people on autism spectrum have with getting haircuts and other similar experiences, sensory uh, experiences. Um, you know, getting haircuts can be traumatizing for someone living with um, ASD or on the autism spectrum, you know, uh, living with autism spectrum disorder. And so, you know, she nurtured, re-nurtured a relationship with, you know, Jackson and gained his trust, you know. And so, you know, she was getting it in. She had her, she had her sneakers on, her sweatpants on, and she was able to cut this young man's hair while he was on the move. She played a game with him. And, and you know, those are the things that, you know, I think Re is a blessing. Um, like others are a blessing. They're really patient. Um, I have a son on the autism spectrum who um, early on we struggled with that. And, you know, there weren't a lot of barbers around that was able to, to deal with that. And so for a long time, you know, his grandfather would cut his hair. That was one of the things they did together. You know, rest in peace, Bert Thompson. But that was one of the things that, um, you know, Joshua and his granddad, Bert Thompson did. You know, Joshua needed a haircut. We'd run down to the shore. And he would talk to Joshua. And Joshua would sit there and be cool and cut Joshua's haircut, give Joshua a haircut, and boom, he's done. And then, of course, as Joshua got older and matured and, you know, began, you know, with help, with speech and behavior help, able to really settle down, you know, getting a haircut for him wasn't a big deal. Uh, it became more of a social thing than, you know, him talking to the barber, having a conversation with the barber. Because, you know, going to the barbershop is all about conversation, you know. And um, you got some barbers that are great at it. You know, like he goes to a barber now, shout out to D. Williamson, um, down there in Bowie, Exquisite Cuts. I think Exquisite Cuts is D. Let me make sure I get that right. Um I'll give D a shout out too, along with my other shout outs that I'm going to give today. But the big shout out though is the one I give to Sister Ree. Exposed cuts on Instagram. I'm going to give her a big shout out, you know, because she did a great job of of getting my man um, hooked up with his cut. Um, and so D Donnell D Williamson, he's over at Exquisite Cuts Barber Studio. He's down there. Um, on Annapolis Road over at Salon Plaza in Suite 127 at Salon Plaza next to Anthony's Pizza over in Bowie, Maryland. So if you need a good haircut, 
from a good brother. Go visit D. Williamson, Donnell D. Williamson. Again, he's over at Salon Plaza next to Anthony's Pizza down there in Bowie, Maryland. 150, one, uh, 15480 Annapolis Road. And that's Suite 127. If you can find Anthony's Pizza, Anthony's Pizza, like it's really right next to Anthony's Pizza. And so shout out to my man D, who Joshua gets his hair cut from. And uh, they go in there and have conversations and, and things of that nature. And with COVID going on, Joshua goes in there by himself. You know, we text D when he's at the door. D comes, lets him in. You know, Joshua tells D about his horses and stables and talks about country music and all that kind of stuff. So shout out. Shout out to Ree. Exposed Cuts on Instagram. Shout out to D, uh, brother D Williamson over at Extinguished Cuts down there in Bowie. And I'm going to continue my shout outs. Uh, my first shout out is I want to give a shout out to a sister um, who, you know, kind of really, I think, came to the forefront when all this protesting was going on. She's a, she's a disabled Afro-Latina, neurodiverse mom artist, designer, disability educator, and that's Jen White Johnson. She, her IG and Twitter handles are J.T. Knox Rocks. So it's J-T-K-N-O-X-R-O-X-S. J.T. Knox Rocks on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, she's got a website too, jenwhitejohnson.com. She's a talented sister out of Baltimore. Does a lot of work. Um, up in Baltimore with the art. She's she's very talented artist and designer. And um, she created a line of T-shirts and stickers and stuff like that. Um, matter of fact, I got some stuff from her myself, a uh, sticker um, that she created called Black Autistic Lives Matter. Um, and if you go to her website, you know, you'll check out her bio. You'll see what she got going on on the website. She's got paraphernalia. She's a strong advocate. She's got a child herself um, that she uh, that she raised, that she's raising, you know, and um, she's doing her thing. Like I said, she's doing her thing, man, and, you know, she's got a beautiful young son. Um, you know, she's got the posters. Um, she's got a line. She's got a photo magazine of Autistic Journey. She's got the solidarity T-shirt, you know, with the fist in the air. Um, she's got a solidarity kids mini zine pack. You know, she's got the posters. You know, she's got protest posters. I mean, she's got a bunch of stuff on her website. Um, she's got the stickers, of course. And this sister's just doing her thing. So shout out to Jen White Johnson. And let me just say this about my shout outs, right? A lot of these people I don't know personally, but you know, these people are doing great things, and I and for me, and maybe I don't, maybe it's because I don't know the rules of, of 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 shouting people out or branding people and stuff like that. And maybe I don't know the rules or understand the rules about that. But I don't have no problem with showing love to people, man. You know, it doesn't. They don't have to be world class. They don't have to be Jay Z. You know, to get love, they don't have to be world class people you know, world-class athletes or business people, whatever, to get love. You know, if I put it on, if God puts it on my heart to give somebody a shout-out, I'm going to give them a shout-out. You know what I mean? I'm going to give them a shout-out. So that's just how I roll. And I shout-out who I want. I shout-out who I feel like. And that's it. Because my thing is this. Podcast is my thing is this. I shout-out whoever I want. 
I don't want to sound cold when I say that, but anyway, so shout out to Jen White Johnson, uh, JT Knox Rocks on Instagram and Twitter. Again, she's a disabled Afro-Latina, neurodiverse mom, artist, designer, disability educator. So go to jenwhitejohnson.com to get more information on Jen White Johnson and all the great things she's doing for the autism community. Uh, next shout out is Marie Maria Pierre Maria Davis Pierre, and she's on Twitter and Instagram as Autism in Black, and she has a foundation called AutismInBlack.org. So if you ever if you want to look her up, just go to Autism in Black, all one word dot org, and she is also um, she specializes in advocacy, support, education. You know, Autism in Black aims to provide support to black parents who have autistic children through educational and advocacy services. And Autism in Black is dedicated to bringing awareness to autism and reducing the stigma in the black community. And so she is a dynamic sister um, that does a podcast and has done things. I've been on a podcast or two with her or been on one of her things she's put on. Um, You know, she's uh, been doing a lot of work. She's a graduate of Florida State, bachelor's degree in psychology, master's degree in mental health counseling. And uh, she's a licensed mental health therapist. And so she primarily works with black parents to provide support through education advocacy training. And her passion for working in the field stems for her personal journey where her daughter received a diagnosis at a very early age. And so um, in addition to the therapy she does, she, you know, she's a coach, she's a speaker, she's an advocate, you know, um, She's an author, and she published her first work, uh, a self-care affirmation journal, which is currently available on Amazon. And so her approach to coaching and counseling just exemplifies her drive and motivation toward greater acceptance and overcoming barriers and personal struggles associated with, you know, raising a black autistic child. And so check out Maria, you know, Autism in Black, you know. Schedule a consultation with her. Reach out to her. Go to autisminblack.org. Um, she also has stuff in her shop, so you can support her that way if you, you know, don't get in, you know, on a counseling chair or get those sort of supports. Um, she's got mugs, she's got t-shirts, you know, team captains, she's got, um, kind is a new black t-shirts and bags. And so she's got a bunch of stuff on her site, you know, that you can, a bunch of merch that you can go out there and purchase from her site, T-shirts, stickers, you know, all those sorts of things. And so um, check out um, Autism in Black. That's Maria. That's Maria Davis Pierre. She's on Instagram and Twitter as at Autism in Black. And you can catch her, check out her website, autisminblack.org. All right. The last folks I want to shout out is uh, family. You know, I married a beautiful woman 26 years ago. And, you know, when you marry someone, you marry their family, too. So I want to give a shout-out to her cousin, Angel McNamara, and her partner, Makeda, who are running Rocksteady Boxing MoCo. Rocksteady Boxing MoCo. Rocksteady Boxing is over. MoCo stands for Montgomery County. And the essence of their business, of Rocksteady Boxing, is they're helping folks with Parkinson's stay healthy through non-contact boxing training. Right? And so... What that means is, you know, you put the gloves on and you punch in a bag, the bag ain't punching you back. And so they're doing great things over there to help people um, with Parkinson's stay healthy through non-contact boxing. They've also started hosting amateur boxing events too. Um, they've had several 
that uh, my wife and I, you know, her cousin has been invited to just our schedule. Well, you know, well, part of it's COVID too, but also our schedule was just haven't been able to mesh up with them. As a matter of fact, my wife did t-shirts for um, for them as well for those events. And they're located at 15213 Display Court in Rockville, uh, Maryland. Uh, you can reach them at 240-838-8221. And on Instagram and Twitter, they're at RSB Moco. That's their Instagram and Twitter feeds at RSB Moco. And you can also check them out at www.rsbmoco.com is their website. And so, like I said, big up to Angel. I know Angel's been, you know, Angel used to be a professional fighter and uh, she transitioned from that to training and then she got her own gym and her and her partner, Makeda, have been doing their thing. Um, with folks, you know, helping folks with boxing training, um, you know, uh, especially folks with Parkinson's. And so, you know, she's got some, some folks out there is, um, you know, really, really enjoying what they're able to do with people with Parkinson's disease and help them still get physical fitness and stay healthy and, and get exercise. And so, you know, just looking at some testimonials, Marion S. said, RSB is more than just boxing. It's focused exercise and also camaraderie, networking, and fun. Each week, I leave Angel McKayla with sweat on my brow and a smile on my face. This is from Marion S. And so Jeff T. says, excellent support, motivational, fr- friendly, and caring atmosphere. Attitude is you can do it. And we... RSB Moco are here to lead and assist you in reaching your goal, and so they doing some they doing some great things over there. They got boxing classes over there um, that they do. Uh, their schedule is typically um, they got seated fitness classes that are virtual only uh, from ten to ten forty five on Tuesdays. On Wednesdays they do uh, PD three and four boxing gym only uh, from two to three. PD one and two boxing gym only from three thirty to four thirty. That's on Wednesdays. On Thursdays they do chair yoga, which is virtual from eleven thirty a.m. to twelve p.m. And then on Saturdays they do PD one two three and four boxing gym only from ten thirty a.m. to eleven thirty a.m. And so, you know, they're doing their thing over there, man. Shout out to them, man, for doing what they do, man. Um, they put this thing together. Um, you know, they're committed to fighting back against Parkinson's disease, no matter how many rounds it takes, you know. They're a Maryland-based affiliate, and they provide an effective form of physical education to people who are living with Parkinson's disease. Um, And so they were founded in 2006 um, by someone who actually ended up passing away from Parkinson's disease. And so, you know, they encourage people through tough love approach, Inspiring maximum effort, speed, strength, balance, flexibility. Um, you know, boxing works by moving your body in all planes of motion while continuously, you know, changing the routine as you progress to your workout level. And so they offer classes to accommodate varying degrees of Parkinson and fitness. You know, they encourage um, the fight back against Parkinson's and make the rounds count and the camaraderie, a community of friends and caregivers also you know, come and do what they do. And so, again, shout out to Angel and Makeda over there at Rocksteady Boxing MoCo, Rocksteady Boxing Montgomery County. 
Like I said, check out their website, rsbmoco.com, um, to, to see the great things that they're doing over there. And, um, man, it's awesome. And so those are my shout-outs for the week. Uh, like I said, I try to do a shout-out, you know, every time I do a podcast. Some days I'm on it. Some podcasts I'm on it. Some days I'm not. But I try to do my best to shout people out. And, again, you know, for me – um, you know, it's not about how big or how high somebody is and whatnot. It's just, you know, people that I know that are doing things, I'm going to shout them out, you know. Especially Angel and Makeda. You know, Angel's from Groove City, Cambridge, Maryland, born and raised, you know, high school athlete. She got into boxing, you know, um, uh, fighting, you know, with Jake the Snake Smith and those folks. And um, she's continuing her love of boxing and physical fitness, you know, opening up fighting the fitness, you know, which is the sweet science of boxing, you know. And then she got into um, Rocksteady and became a part of Rocksteady family. So, you know, she's, you know, her and her, her, and her partner, Aunt, her and her partner, Makeda, you know, they are doing great things. And so, you know, Makeda is the, Business side of the fence, Angel's the fitness side of the fence, you know, both very intelligent women and doing their thing. And so, you know, they doing what they do, man. And like I said, if you get a chance, go out and support. Check them out. Rocksteady Boxing in Montgomery County, rsbmoco.com. And again, shout out to all of my uh, shout outs this week, especially shout out to Reed the Barber for hooking my man Jackson up, you know, playing the game, a Mario game with him. Shout out to Jen White Johnson, JT Knox Rocks. Check out jenwhitejohnson.com. Shout out to Maria Davis Pierre, Autism in Black on Instagram and Twitter, autisminblack.org. And also Angel and her partner, Makeda, over at Rocksteady Boxing MoCo on Instagram and Twitter, RSB Mo, at rsbmoco. And then you can check them out at the website, rsb, www.rsbmoco.com. All right. So I hope everybody enjoyed this week. Again, you listen to the podcast, like, share, subscribe to it, send me some feedback, give me some comments, anything you want to hear. If you want to be a guest on the show, you know how to get a hold of me for those, you know, that know how to get a hold of me. But if not, you know, just shoot me a comment. If you don't have my personal contact information, want to be a guest on the show, just shoot me a comment. Uh, uh, on my podcast when I publish them and um, we'll see about getting you on I've had you know a couple people on I had the guy on that inspired me to do this Kevin Williams the six man podcast my brother down in Florida uh, doing great things I had an OG on here Otis Lewis family um, sharing some OG wisdom and so again you know I'm looking forward to bringing more people on I may end up uh, my two special education social advisory council partners, Sarah and Pam. Um, we may be looking to expand and maybe doing a podcast just on special needs and disability advocacy at some point. So stay tuned for that. You know, we may we trying to think through it and work out the details on that just to get the information out there to our special needs community and share information with them and give them guidance on where to go, share some of our stories and, you know, bring light to, you know, our disability community because, you know, they are people too. Everybody's made in God's image. 
And so just just remember that, you know, we're all fearfully and wonderfully made and we're all put on here for a purpose to do what we do and honor God's purpose. Some of us purpose is, you know, being athletic. Some of us purpose is being in a community advocates. Some of our purposes, you know, doing whatever you is you do, but just do it with the whole heart and gladness for God and he will take care of the rest. And so just know that he's always got our back. He will never leave us and forsake us and speak life into ourselves and not death. Get rid of the ants, the automatic negative thoughts. Get rid of the lies, the limited, the limited ideas that are entertained and always be positive and always know that we can always learn and grow. This is your host. My thing is this, Troy Sanson Podcast. I'm out. Thank you very much for tuning in this week. Be sure to tune in next week. Hit the like and subscribe buttons. And then remember, the next time somebody says something suspect, or eh, tell them my thing is this, because your opinion matters. I'm your host, Troy Sampson. Have a blessed week, and we are out. Thank you.